Do you have a tricky work problem that you need to solve? I have a great podcast recommendation for you featuring a pair of expert women. Whether you're just starting your career or a seasoned professional, check out Fixable, a podcast from TED. Hosted by Harvard professor Frances Fry and her wife, leadership coach Ann Morris, the brilliant duo provide honest, actionable advice to help you navigate everything from a gaslighting manager to returning to work after parental leave. They'll leave you feeling empowered and ready to act. Listen to Fixable wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, and welcome to the Bossed Up Podcast, episode 339. I'm your host, Emily Aries, and today I'm so delighted to bring you a really fun conversation I had with career coach Cynthia Orduña, who is sharing her insights as a Latino woman in tech, as a recruiter, a former recruiter and DEI consultant who works as a career coach as well. She's got such a great perspective that she brings to this conversation today all around the myth of the dream job. So we're going to talk about how job seekers should think about the modern job search and pursuing that perfect fit in finding our next job. And first, we really talk about the myth of the uh, the dream employee or the perfect employee and how companies should be thinking about talent development and recruiting and creating cultures of true inclusion and belonging. I get on my soapbox on today's episode a little bit, (laughs) a little bit more than usual. So I hope you'll stick around. Uh, Cynthia and I had a really dynamic and fun convo. I think you're going to like hearing from her. So let me tell you a little bit about Cynthia uh, officially. Cynthia Orduña is a vivacious Latino woman who continually pushes the envelope to uplift and inspire women in business. She's a strong, empowering female voice in the technology world with her focus on helping women get ahead in the predominantly male-dominated tech space. Cynthia is also an advocate for Latina voices and a published contributor on the In Her Sight blog, which we know and love here at Bossed Up. Cynthia, welcome to the Bossed Up podcast. Thank you. I'm super excited to be here. And like I said, love your energy. Super excited to be a part of it. (laughs) Well, I'm super excited to chat with you. And I want to always open up with just a question about how you got into this work, right? You do a variety of different impressive and exciting things. Uh, And I'd love to learn more about how you got interested in supporting women at work. Yeah. So throughout my career, uh, I've had experience, you know, in human resources in recruitment and talent development. And I really began looking into essentially systems of inequality around six years ago when I started working in HR. Um, and I had never really paid attention to what was going on around me because I was young and it was my first job. Um, but I, after having filled out the EEOC report for the company, I realized that I was the only Latina working in the organization in a non-genitorial capacity. Oh my goodness. Yeah, that must have been pretty jarring. (laughs) It was jarring. Um, The second jarring thing was that about 80% of their employees were white and white males. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And you think, why doesn't someone notice this? But I think when you're just excited, you know, it's not really something that you're having awareness in until you're really in it. Um, So not too long after that, I transferred into the tech recruitment world, which I also really liked, but I realized that once again, I was in this industry that I 
a lot of people didn't look like me. Um, So there wasn't a lot of representation and I found myself searching for communities and other women that I could connect with and people that really could give me the guidance. Um, But it was during that time that I also realized how important I was in this new role, Mm. you know, because I was a gatekeeper and yeah, I had the power to give people from underrepresented backgrounds an opportunity in the tech industry or at the very least that first interview. Right. So, you know, Absolutely. I was <laughs> I was really fighting and, and advocating for a diverse pipeline, but I worked with CEOs and VPs of recruitment and hiring managers to get them to see that people were qualified for these jobs, even if they didn't look like the perfect candidate which, you know, I tell all the hiring managers out there, the perfect candidate does not exist as much as we want to believe that they do. Right, totally. Um, But I got tired of working within a system that I knew was broken and that wasn't giving me a lot of wiggle room to change it. So Mm. there were, you know, those are just some of the many reasons that I've dedicated my career to really uplifting diverse voices and Um, I do that right now just by working as a career coach, but also as a diversity, equity, and inclusion consultant for a DEI firm. That's awesome. So yeah, it's always interesting to me. I I feel like two things are coming up for me now. One is the tension between being a change agent from within Mm -hmm. (laughs) versus advocating from outside the system. Um, That's really an interesting thing sort of decision point I want to ask you more about. But the second thing is the pipeline problem versus the culture problem. So let's take those one at a time. Um, You know, you were an insider fighting the good fight from within. And I feel like you've made that decision to now pivot, which I did a long time ago myself, Mm -hmm. to be an advocate from the outside. What what was that choice moment like for you? And and I think it's important on both sides, right? But how do you look at that... um, that work. Uh, and maybe it doesn't look that way to you, but I'd be curious to hear for women who are listening who are like, yeah, I'm in the trenches right now. I'm surrounded by people who don't look like me. Mm-hmm. Should I stay the course and advocate for advancement here? Or should I say, fuck this, I'm out. I'm going to a place that belong, that where I feel like I belong more mm-hmm. and I will happily you know, contribute to the world that way. Yeah. I mean, I don't think there's a right or wrong answer right? I Mm. think it's definitely dependent on each person. Um, And for me, you know, it wasn't necessarily a moment, right? A a one decision. And I think this is Mm. true for a lot of people. It's a buildup of many moments and many instances, whether it's microaggressions that may be happening or the frustration of constantly having to fight for something every single day that other people don't value or feel is important and constantly having to try to explain why it's important from, you know, I would say not a position of power because if you're just Mm. a recruiter, you know, your word isn't always taken for what it is. Recruiters in general, whether you're fighting for DEI or not, recruiters are always trying to find the best candidates. And, you know, the hiring manager is going to decide what they want Mm. no matter what. So Mm -hmm. I think for me, it was, I was tired, you know, and and and, um, I was tired and I was exhausted and I wanted to be looked at as someone who you know, people actually wanted to listen to. And I think Mm -hmm. when you have an outside perspective and you're working more from the consultant side 
I'm not going to say that you don't have many trials and tribulations, but you are looked at as more of a leader and an expert in your field than when you're trying to do it from the inside in a non-DEI role. Isn't that so interesting? I I never thought of putting it that way, but you're totally right. It's like somehow having a third-party voice, (laughs) an outsider's perspective, does often come with more credence. How frustrating. How silly, honestly. Yeah. (laughs) Um, That that must feel sometimes. So I just want to reiterate, if folks are feeling exhausted themselves, you know, you can fight the good fight from within, but sustain yourself along the way um, and know that there's no shame in, in pivoting elsewhere. I I think you can still pursue the same lifelong mission, right? The same vision you have for the kind of impact you want to have in this world from multiple different vantage points over the course of your career. And that's what I hear you doing. So kudos to you, Cynthia. Yeah. And I would say too, you know, to anyone who may be in more of a management position or higher, um, Mm those people have so much power <laughs> and you have so much more power than you think because you don't even have to necessarily, you know, try to advocate for a specific type of pipeline, but you're part of the culture. And right, exactly. the way you treat your team, you know, the vulnerability, the compassion that you show, the leadership skills, the strength um, is what influences every other person that you interact with on a day-to-day basis. And you're leading what the culture looks like. So however, whatever changes in your behavior mm. and your mindset that you decide to change, um, that makes an impact on your team and the people that are working with you. So you're very vital honestly, to yeah. even just the culture within your department. And um, I think in that sense, it's not more of a fight. It's just how you want to represent yourself and how you want to take care of your team. Mm, that's so interesting. Yeah, it's a good reminder that all of us contribute to our collective culture in some capacity, especially our corporate culture if you're on a, a team, right, as a full-time employee. And the pipeline versus culture question is often about a sense of belonging, mm-hmm. right? Like so many recruiters, are, even even the well-intentioned folks who are like, yes, let's push for diversity, let's push for inclusion, you know, they're going out there to convince, let's say, folks of color or young Latino women to join this 80% pale and male company mm-hmm. and say, you've got the skills you know, we think you would add a really important perspective and a, a different voice to our company's culture. That's just part of the problem is getting them in the door. But then keeping women, keeping women in male-dominated industries, right? Keeping folks of color in every white-dominated uh, workplace is hard because it's not just about the pipeline, right? It's about how people are actually treated, how the culture uh you know, chooses to include and create a sense of belonging or not. From your perspective in HR and as a DEI consultant, how do those two things interplay? You know, how do they relate? Mm. Well, I think you pointed out something really important, and that's a sense of belonging. And the most important aspect of belonging, or even what I would say is more important, is your psychological safety. Um, Yeah. And that's what allows someone to voice their opinions. That's what gives someone the courage to be different. That's what, you know, 
allows people to bring up things that make them feel uncomfortable to Mm. their manager, to HR, to whoever it may be in the company. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, definitely, I think the reason why I focused on the diverse pipeline was just because I was a recruiter and that was the only, that was the only capacity I had at the time, right? That was the only area where I could help. I wasn't inside the companies to be able to change the culture. Um, So, but when you are within a company, it's about how do I make my colleagues feel safe? How do I make my team members feel safe? How do I make, you know, the other managers within the company feel safe to bring up and arise the issues Mm. or the problems within the company? And then not only do we want people to bring up these issues and these topics, but we also want to deal with them in a way that makes them want to do it again and create change, Mm. you know? Right. Because if people feel like they're being punished in direct ways or indirect ways for raising an issue, that's a perfect way to never incur like never hear about another issue again and that's bad right that's bad for business like you don't want to make it a punishment like psychological safety is all about being able to speak your mind and raise concerns without losing your job without being penalized right yeah or even you know I've had a lot of CEOs or just founders of companies say you know everyone feel free to voice your opinions. Um, we may not uh-huh. make any changes on it, but just know that your voice is going to be heard. And oh God. if you're not making any changes, are you really listening to what people are having to say? Right. You know, right. so it, it's also not only do I feel safe enough to voice my opinion, but do I feel that you care enough to want to make a change with me and to want to improve the culture either between us or between the company or between the team? Yeah. Oh, that's a challenging one. I feel like as a manager, you know, just recently I told a member of my team, listen, you're going to pitch a lot of ideas. Not 100% of them are going to get implemented. Yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean? And so like I do struggle with that because you want to make sure people feel heard and you're validating. And there is a limit sometimes on how many things you can act on. But, you know, I remember hearing a statistic that if you're going to take a survey, especially about culture, I'm thinking more about like campaigns and strategy and things mm-hmm. like that. But, you know, if you're going to take a culture survey and say, tell us how we're doing and is your boss terrible and does this place make you want to just pull your hair out, right? You're going to ask those questions if you never follow up with that. If you do nothing about it, it backfires worse than had you never asked at all. Mm. So I think your point is well taken. Like if you're going to ask people to make their voice heard, you have to show them how you're listening, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of times, you know, that comes in with microaggressions. I think if you have Mm. projects from a manager perspective, yes, not every idea that people come up with in terms of what we're doing work-wise is going to be utilized. But Mm -hmm. if we're talking about the treatment of people and if you said something that was offensive to me or you did something that made me feel uncomfortable, me being able to say that isn't enough. Changes have to be made and we have Mm -hmm. to be open to hearing from our colleagues and other people that, hey, I messed up, I made a mistake and here's how I can fix that. You know, Um, we don't just like, if we accidentally hit someone, 
And, you know, right. we have that conversation. We don't, we don't do it again. Right. But why yeah. is it that with our verbal or even nonverbal actions that we get defensive and, and say it's their fault for being offended? Right. Oh, that's so interesting. Wow. I feel like I could talk to you all day about these <laughs> culture issues. Clearly, we have a lot to talk about there. But I did bring you on the podcast as a career coach to talk a little bit about the job search mm-hmm. process as well. I know that's another area of expertise. So I want to switch gears into that a little bit uh, and talk with you about the myth of the dream job. You know, we've talked a little bit about the the myth of the perfect ideal employee, but from the employee side, let's say you're thinking about leaving your day job, it's not quite perfect, or it's just burning you the hell out, and you're on the job hunt, as so many people are right now, how do you go about thinking about making your next career move when so many people are looking for that elusive dream job? Mm. Well, I think, you know... The dream job, we talk about the myth of the dream job, and I think a lot of people have said the dream job is not real. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And I would counter to that, and I would say I do think that the dream job is real. It just doesn't look the way that we thought it would. Mm -hmm. And we often get sold this story of how amazing it's going to be and how you are so happy and so fulfilled. And if you love something, you're never going to work a day in your life. Oh my gosh. And (laughs) I think we know, you know, as people that do things that we love, like that's BS. (laughs) Totally, totally. Um, And landing a dream job doesn't mean you're living a dream life. Right. So I think it's really important for people to understand what is it that you want out of life and what is really important to you in terms of what you need? Is it that you want a work-life balance? Um, so you want you know good hours where you can actually shut off your phone and you don't have to respond to emails? Mm-hmm. Are there specific benefits that you're looking for? You know, So maybe you're having a baby and certain companies have like really amazing benefits for paternity leave. Um, you know, what is, what are the things that are really important to you? Is it that you want to be surrounded by friends, um, and your colleagues mm. are your best friends? Um, or you like, you know, areas where they give you lunch every day? Like what are the moments, um, and the things of value for you, um, that you're looking for so that you can start to refine your search and even ask yeah. questions in the interview process when you're talking about culture, not just a vague thing, but like really mm. get a little bit deeper into understanding if they, you know, actually align with the values that they have online. Yeah. It's so tricky, right? Because it's hard to remain focused on your must-haves when you're auditioning, essentially, mm-hmm. <laughs> through the interview process. I know so many of my job search clients in Hired, our job search accelerator, uh, feel like the job search is such a performative sales pitch. And it is in some ways we're marketing ourselves and our skills and how we can be of service to a prospective future employer. Uh, And it is hard to remember at the end of the day, you're interviewing them as much as they're interviewing you. Mm -hmm. Right. But we as human beings tend to be really bad (laughs) at uh, estimating what will yield happiness for us. Right. We're not really good at saying, here's what I think will make me happy. So how do you help folks get in the mindset of 
you know, value-based job searching? Or how do you just get people's heads wrapped around this idea of compromising on some things for other things and, and sort of being a little bit tolerant of the uncertainty that's inherent to this whole process? Mm-hmm. Well, I think if we do the opposite, um, is, is what I normally have people do. So instead of saying, what are the things that you want or the things that are necessary mm. for you, you're normally in your job and you dislike a lot of things about it. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. let's start there and let's untangle what are the things that you dislike and why and what's really yeah. bothering you about this job. And when we understand all of the negatives and the things that you don't want – you can start to flip the switch and essentially say, okay, I feel undervalued here, right? Or I feel unhappy here because my opinions are not being heard. So what you're saying is I want to be in a place where I feel valued and I'm able to give my opinion and maybe have brainstorming sessions with people, right? I want to be in a collaborative setting. Um, So we can start to understand Mm. what it is that you want, from understanding what it is that makes you unhappy. Totally. I love that advice because we're very good at, at venting, right? <laughs> we're really good at uh, identifying, here's what really grinds my gears. And even if it's a person, you're like, man, Joe from accounting just drives me nuts. And you're like, wait, but why? Yes. Right? What are the behaviors? What are the tasks that fall onto my plate as a result? What are the challenges or whatever it is? Like, if you can drill down into those things, you're right. You can flip that script and start thinking about, okay, what would the opposite of this look like? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the one the one challenge with that or the one potential pitfall, I'll say, and I think we talked about this in a past episode about um, recovering from a toxic workplace, mm-hmm. is sometimes I see my job search clients who've been so burned who've been so abused and just mistreated by a variety of toxic bosses or workplaces that it starts to become really hard to imagine a better alternative. Mm. You know, you forget how it feels to just be treated with human dignity. Yeah. And we lo- we have too low a bar almost. <laughs> so I don't know. I wonder um, – you know, for folks who have done that exercise and they're like, literally anyone who will pay me to do anything who's not going to be a f-ing nightmare of a boss would be great. Like that, that's what I hear from some folks sometimes is just, just this too generic, too low of a bar. What would you counsel folks to think more about in that kind of a case? Mm-hmm. Well, I think you definitely want to have an understanding that even if you were to jump to another job, because of the energy that you're at and the mentality that you have, you're most likely going to jump into another job that's very similar. Mm. And that's because you're not able to see the signs, right, of what is a toxic workplace because you've normalized what a toxic workplace is. And Mm -hmm. so we want to essentially get you out of that energy by really Mm. understanding how much value and importance you have as a person. And I normally, this is normally a longer process for my clients, but I do have them go through (laughs) this. I would call it like a job description master doc type of thing, but it's where we really talk about, you know, what are all of the accomplishments that you've had both in your career and your personal life? And we start Mm. to document that out in a, you know, a journal type form 
where we can start to see like here are all of the amazing accomplishments that you've had, not just in the professional fields, but in your life, whether that's, you know, having a baby, which is a big accomplishment, by the way, right. <laughs> um, or, you know, um, helping your sister through college or being the financial, you know, person for your entire family. Like these are all the yeah. things that people don't give you credit for on a day-to-day right. basis. Totally. And so I work with them to really be the be the cheerleader that no one else is being, right? And to really mm-hmm. show you when you have it all on paper and you're able to see these are all the things that I've done and these are all the things that make me this unique person, you're able to see yourself of value and importance a little bit more. Yeah, that's such a good point. Those, this world does a pretty good job of helping us to forget those lessons, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> of grinding us down and making us feel empty sometimes, especially when you're in between jobs. Because in America especially, I think this is very American, our identities are so wrapped up in our employment. Whatever yields a paycheck is what is of value uh, mm-hmm. about me. And that's just such a lie, isn't it? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it is very, it's a, it's an American thing, um, mm-hmm. to ask, you know, what do you do as one of the first oh, things? Right. Right. And I forgot, I don't remember which countries where that's offensive to ask people. <laughs> yeah. Um, probably a lot of other countries, but yeah. Yeah. I write a little bit about this in my book, this like Protestant work ethic that's at the foundation of America that really ties leisure with evil mm-hmm. and makes us feel like the only like our self-worth is so wrapped up in our market worth, which is just a necessary prerequisite for capitalism Mm -hmm. to work, right? Like if we need to buy into this capitalist system, we have to believe that I'm only of value if I'm producing income. And that is, you know, it's a, it's a little bit of a psychological trick that's been played on all of us. Exactly. Well, I mean, that's a deeper (laughs) masterclass for another day, but yeah. (laughs) I was like, oh my gosh, you're talking about all the systems of oppression right now that I could totally... (laughs) Could totally go into, but I know that's not deferred today. I know, right? <laughs> well, I appreciate that. You're, you're good. Way to bring me back to reality. I appreciate that. Uh, we'll save that for the cocktail hour or yeah. something. But, um, so w- what would you have modern job seekers think about when it comes to understanding, you know, there is no perfect dream job out there. In fact, there might be more than one dream job over the course of your career. Uh, how do you... How do you advise folks, especially those on the job search right now, to think about that? Mm -hmm. So I think the first thing that we want to do is really redefine the expectations of what a dream job is. So the first thing being is that, you know, the dream wouldn't be a dream if it were easy. So just because you worked hard to get this offer, that doesn't mean that the effort stops there. So oftentimes when people get into their dream job, they realize like, oh my God, this is like really tough. (laughs) And you're going to have these tough moments and these late nights and these frustrations and more because no Mm. job is perfect, right? It it doesn't solve all of your problems. It's not like rainbows and butterflies and fun all of the time. And it still can have many areas that you like and and many areas that you're even passionate about, but it is work and you're still going to deal with all the politics that come with working for a company. So Mm. I think that we do need to redefine that that dream job is not going to completely change your life. It's just going to be, you know, 
something that maybe hits a few points of yours and is a great place to work, but it's yeah. never, it's never going to be perfect, right? It's not a fantasy. Right. I think, yeah, it's kind of like relationships and dating. One might even say, whose baggage can I live with, right, <laughs> for the rest of my life? Like, I think it's interesting because we have to be realistic in evaluating, you know, job offers or romantic partners. And everyone's got their their stuff that comes along with all the great stuff that you get. Uh, yeah, and I think it's also just important to acknowledge that what matters to you now might not be what matters to you in five years or 10 years or 20 years. And the, you know, the timeline is somewhat long when it comes to the modern career nowadays. We've got quite a few decades to put in. And being kind and honest with ourselves when what we want has actually changed is so important. Because I think, I don't know, I think quitting, <laughs> quitting any pursuit, quit, not just quitting a job, but quitting any goal pursuit the pursuit of a particular career after you got a fancy degree in it or whatever, you know, daring to pivot comes with some serious guilt and shame for some folks mm -hmm. who are like, but I've sunk all these costs into this. I should just keep, you know, keep going or stay the course or what will people think if I change? And if what you want has changed, who cares what anyone else thinks, right? Yeah. I, I do think, you know, it's hard for people to think that, you'll have multiple dream jobs throughout your life. But the truth is that you right. will <laughs> because you're an ever-changing human and right. you go through different stages of life. You go through different interests. You go through different, you know, people that you date, just like you mentioned. You're never the same. And even who you were dating in your 20s may not even be someone you date in your 30s, right? There's you are constantly changing what you want changes. Maybe your dreams mm. and aspirations change or you realize what you wanted wasn't really what you needed. So right. you have to be open to, you know, really the ease and flow, I think, of wherev whatever aligns for you at that moment and whatever feels right is okay. And mm. you can pivot um, you know, obviously I think if you have the finances and the support in place to, to do so, I never want to put a burden on, on people that are, you know, in situations where it's more of this survival mechanism. Yeah, totally. Um, but when you're, you know, I wouldn't want the fear of just something new holding you back from yeah. redefining a second start. Right. Yeah. I think it's all about risk tolerance, you know. I have been broke for much of my life, I feel like. <laughs> I grew up in a family that just didn't manage money well. God bless them. They did lots of things well, but, like, money is still just an area that evades my most of my family. Yeah. <laughs> and that's changed for me, thank God, over the past decade in particular, because I've really worked on that and leaned into that and have been very fortunate and privileged, too, to be able to work on that and lean into that. But I think there's some sort of baggage that we take with us over the course of our lives where risk taking when there's money on the line, when there's like real bread on the line and there's skin in the game, that risk, whether you are risking, you know, not being able to afford rent next month by making a change and going for something that you really want or the risk of, oh, well, I might lose on this investment that I'm making in some new business venture. It's always uh, scary. Mm -hmm. Growth is always scary.
scary, you know? Pardon my French. I'm swearing a lot with you today, Cynthia. I don't know why. <laughs> You're bringing it out of me. I love it. But it's like that stuff is always uncomfortable, you know? So, you know, the, that back and forth, that tolerance of risk um, over the course of our careers is such a prerequisite to growth, mm-hmm. and I wish it weren't so. I, I aspire to ease and comfort as well, and I want stability, and we want to feel safe, and I get that. But, you know, the cost of always choosing the safe path is limiting your growth, right? Mm-hmm. Like that is just in my boat, and, and in my lifetime, that's what I've seen, and, and not every risk you take is going to work, but – like you said, I don't want the fear of change to keep any of us uh, hamsters on a wheel, just doing the same shit every day. Right. Because that's just no way to live. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think, you know, when it comes to risk as well, everything that we do, you know, whether it's based off of the way that we were raised, you know, we all have these Mm. biases or understanding of the world or stories that we tell ourselves because of what we experience. Um, but when it comes to risk, I really like this. I think it's by the ambition plan and they have what's Mm. called the year of risk and they send you an email every Monday with a new risk that you take in your life. So one can be like, ask for something that you're scared to ask for you that you think is going to be a no. And there's a story of this one man who, I can't remember the name, but he asked uh, Krispy Kreme to give him donuts in the symbol of the Olympics. (laughs) (laughs) And he got it. (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) And so the purpose is to go through risks and, you know, that are smaller, that still make you feel uncomfortable. But at the end of the day, when you do enough of these small risks, you realize that the world didn't end. <laughs> right. And that you didn't die <laughs> because right. it, you did it. <laughs> yeah, that's so funny. Especially like the small risk taking as a way to build that muscle of risk tolerance. I love that. How cool. We'll definitely have to drop a link in today's show notes with that resource. And on that note, I can't believe it, but we're at the end of our time here together. (laughs) Where should our listeners go to keep up with you, to learn more about your work, to work with you? Tell us all about it. Yeah. So if people are interested in coaching sessions, they can book a call with me on my website at ordunia.com. I know the Enya always gets to people. Um, or if you want, you know, in-depth career insights about interviewing, navigating the job search, you know, negotiation and salary, you can either subscribe to my YouTube channel or follow me on LinkedIn. And both of those are just my name. Cynthia Orduña. And if you feel more comfortable, you can just copy paste versus I was going to say, yeah. Can you, so the Enya is in your URL. Is that right? It is. Yeah. It's in the URL. Nice. I didn't know that was a thing, but that's good to know. I love that. Yeah. So I normally send people the link so that it's easier. (laughs) I love it. Let us all go find the shortcut uh, on our keyboards to make that happen. I love that. That's that's our challenge for the day. That's our risk to take today. I love it. Well, Cynthia, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. It's been a true pleasure speaking with you. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. I've had such a great time and I know like we get into it, bouncing yeah. <laughs> into all ideas. Awesome. Keep up the great work. 
To get all of today's show notes and links and all the resources that Cynthia and I mentioned, including the direct link to Cynthia's website, head to bossedup.org slash episode 339. That's bossedup.org slash episode 339. And now it's time for this week's boss move of the week. Today we are celebrating Lucy, who's a recent alum of our Hired Job Search Accelerator. She worked directly with Yanil, one of our incredible bossed up job search coaches who I work with in the Hired program. Now, Lucy just recently landed a role as an Associate Director of Donor Communications at Earth Justice, which is an awesome nonprofit advocacy group. She navigated her job search while also also pursuing another big life change, relocating from Ohio to Colorado. Welcome, Lucy. Smart move. <laughs> now, you got you to gotta hear about this. Lucy prepared for her negotiation uh, with Yanil's support and through the hired program and secured an offer that exceeded her own expectations with a pay increase of more than $20,000 from her last role on top of a stellar benefits package. She's now working at a company that makes use of her fabulous talents, skills, and expertise while pursuing a mission that directly aligns with her personal values. Congratulations, Lucy. We are so proud of you. And congrats to you, Yanil, on being such an amazing member of the Bossed Up Hired Job Search Coach Team uh, and for helping Lucy make this boss move. Congrats, everybody. If you've got a boss move to share or have a career conundrum you want me to break down on an upcoming episode of the Boss Up Podcast, give me a call at 910-668-BOSS or 2677. And if you are a job seeker looking for hands-on, interactive, modern job search support, head to bossedup.org slash get hired to learn more about the limited spots we have available right now for the hired program. All right, y'all. I appreciate you listening, sharing, responding, reacting. Uh, and it, really adding your two cents to today's episode, the best conversations always happen after each episode comes out in the Boss Up Courage community on Facebook. So join me there to keep the convo going. And until next time, let's keep Boston in pursuit of our purpose. And just like the 1896 motto of America's first black women's clubs said, let's lift as we climb. <laughs> <laughs>